This is the Build Wealth Canada Show, episode number 58. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hi, it's Cornell, and welcome to the Build Wealth Canada show. Today, we have Megan Chomont on the show, who is a financial planner specializing in real estate for both your primary residence and rental properties as well. She also has personally done property flipping before, so I thought it would be Great to have her on the show to teach us some lessons and best practices that we can apply to both our primary residents, whether we are an existing or aspiring homeowner, as well as learn more about what to consider and look out for when deciding to invest in a rental property or even flipping houses. Now, I'm a former property rental property owner and a former landlord as well, so we both share some of our lessons learned, you know, some of our battle scars, <laughs> and give a realistic preview of real estate investing so that you can better decide whether it's the right fit for you. Now, we do also talk about mortgages and what to consider before renewing your existing mortgage or getting a brand new one. Now, keep in mind, though, that there have been some significant changes in mortgages since we recorded this interview. So if you are in the process of getting a brand new mortgage or renewing your existing one, then I definitely recommend and encourage you to speak to a reputable mortgage broker as the mortgage rules and rates change over time. And so you definitely want to speak to someone that monitors the mortgage market for a living on an everyday basis and is up to date on all the latest changes and you know how to get the lowest rate on your mortgage. It could literally save you thousands of dollars. So there's definitely no reason not to do that level of due diligence. Don't just walk into your bank and say you want a mortgage. You definitely want a second opinion and you want to talk to an expert about it first. Now, the mortgage broker that I refer all listeners of the show to is Sean Cooper. He is the first person I would call if I personally needed a mortgage again or if I was ever considering investing in real estate rentals again. I've known Sean for years now. He's the best-selling author of the book, Burn Your Mortgage, The Simple powerful path to financial freedom for Canadians. He's been on the show here several times and he was able to pay off his mortgage by his 30s. So he definitely has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to getting and optimizing your mortgage. He's actually now the show's mortgage expert. So I created a custom page for him on my site where you can get a free consultation with him to get your mortgage questions answered for free. And if you are actually looking for a mortgage already, then he can help you with that too, as he is a fully licensed mortgage broker. So he can basically shop around for you to get you the lowest rate on your mortgage with really good terms. And it doesn't cost you anything for him to do so. So you might as well do it even if you're doing your own research as you know, at least you've got a good frame of reference that way and you can make sure that you get the best rates and the best mortgage terms for you for yourself. So if you do want some mortgage questions answered or have him shop mortgage rates around for you for free, you can go to Build Wealth canada.ca slash Sean. That's S-E-A-N. So buildwealthcanada.ca slash Sean. Just enter your email and he'll get in touch with you to set up a free call so that you can get your questions answered. All right. It's totally free. There's no obligation or anything like that. Uh, And as a bonus, when you enter your email, I'll also email you the mortgage checklist, which is a guide on the top things to look for and consider when choosing a mortgage. So that link again to get in touch with Sean and get your questions answered, get the free mortgage checklist guide and or get that research on some of the best mortgages that are currently out there. Just go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash Sean and just enter your email and you're all set. 
All right. And lastly, in case you missed it in the last episode, the new highly requested guide on the top ETFs in Canada is now available for free. It's for the year 2019, as that's when I'm recording this episode, but I'll be updating it every year. So even if you are listening to this episode years from now, it will still be relevant to you. Now, in the guide, I go over what I personally invest in, why I invest in it, and the investments that I talk about are literally where we have almost our entire net worth. So other than a house, that's pretty much where almost all our net worth is. And it is what we are primarily living off of right now in our early retirement. So I figured at the very least, you'll learn about some great ETFs to consider for your portfolio, as I've obviously, you know, put a lot of money into them. So I did a lot of research before doing so. And you know, I'm happy to share that with you. And if you are new to ETFs, then I'll give you a nice list of some top ETFs to consider from the thousands that are out there. So I'm making this guide available for free to any listeners that use my special link to sign up for a free savings account with the bank that I use, which is EQ Bank. Now, the reason that I personally use EQ Bank, if you're new to the show, is that they have one of the highest interest savings rates in Canada. They currently offer 2.3%, which is more than double what the major banks are offering. And it's also free to sign up and keep an account with them so you're not paying a monthly fee like you do with many of the other banks out there. And what I really like about them too is you get the unlimited transactions and unlimited interact e-transfers. And that, uh, that rate is not some promotional rate that you're only going to get for three months and then you, you're going to you know switch banks because you see a higher rate elsewhere. This is just an ongoing, really, really high rate. And you do have those unlimited transactions. So it's nice not to have to worry about exceeding it like you do with some of the other banks and then having to pay some sort of fee. Um, so you can basically take out your money at any time if you need it. It's not locked in and there is no minimum balances or anything like that either. So because of those reasons, I've been with them ever since they launched in Canada years ago, and it's where I keep my entire emergency fund and spending money for the year. And basically, just about everything of mine that isn't being invested in ETFs goes directly into my EQ bank account to earn me that high interest. So to get the free high interest account and a free guide on the top ETFs in Canada, just go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash EQ, that's buildwealthcanada.ca ca slash the letter e and the letter q open the free account and once you're done forward any email that you get from eq to bonus at buildwealthcanada.ca and i'll email you the free in-depth guide all right so enjoy thank you for supporting the show and now let's get into the episode all right megan welcome to the show Hi, Cornell. Thanks for having me. No problem. So, Megan, tell us a little about yourself and how did you get started in the world of financial planning and real estate? Um, well, a little bit on the personal side. I'm a wife, a mom. I have four little kids and I live in Northern Ontario. And on the per- on the career side, I actually did go to school and got a degree in finance. And it's something I've always been interested in. And right after high, right after um, university, I actually moved to Scotland and worked at the head office branch there. And that's where I learned that in terms of my finance career, I didn't want big institutions to be my clients. I wanted to work one-on-one with actual families and people. So it was a great learning learning experience for a little discomfort that I had while mm-hmm. I was, you know, mm-hmm. learning those bumps in the road. And then in terms of real estate, it, it owning a rental property was something that I always felt interested in. Um, just from, you know, as a kid watching, I don't know if you remember, this might be dating myself, but there was an episode on TV called 
trading places. Oh, yes. Where it was like home renovations where you swapped with a friend or swapped with a neighbor. And I was always so intrigued with um, the home decorating and the um, income property side of that channel. And so that's kind of where it all got started was I had both the interest, but also the technical, you know, number crunching abilities. So then, you know, in, in the last five, 10 years is when I've blended the two. Gotcha. And then when deciding to purchase a property, whether for personal use or as an investment property, what are the components uh, that we should be factoring in that are critical when crunching the numbers? Because I found in particular, just from my own experience, I remember being really you know, gung-ho about real estate investing. And I remember just, you know, there's a lot of books to read and they just kind of very motivational and getting you to do it. But a lot of them I found were, were pretty uh, weren't very in-depth in terms of crunching the actual numbers to see if quantitatively, if financially, it actually makes sense. Uh, and so mm-hmm. I found, I quickly learned once I started crunching the numbers how important that was and how most properties, it is actually very difficult to get them to cash flow. They are a lot of, pro- there's more properties that would be horrible investments than properties that are actually good investments. So, you know, mm-hmm. when when you're when you're sitting with a client and, and they're thinking of, uh, whether it's purchasing a rental property or maybe it's, it's a prime, they're looking to purchase the primary residence. Uh, what do you look for? What are the different components that you make sure that you factor in? Right. So when you're looking at the, there is a quite a large spread in the differences that I'm looking for when it's for a house that I'm going to live in. And it's a house that I am going to rent out because when you're buying a rental property, you're essentially buying a business. Right. So why are you buying the business? Is it to cash flow? And if it is, those numbers need to to show you that. And if you don't need it to cash flow because you anticipate or you speculate appreciation in the value of that property, and that's kind of what you're counting on, then those numbers also need to reflect that. But also, you need to be aware of the speculation that you're making. So what I always say is that in terms of investments and personal finance in general, it's 20% the numbers. You need to know that 20%, but it's 80% behavior and how you adjust to the fluctuations in those numbers, how you how you re- react to stress. Um, I think it's really important to, in terms of the number side of things, to know the obligations that you have in terms of the debt repayment, the maintenance, the, you know, the utilities and all those things that keep the lights on. And then when it's a rental property, there's other factors that you need to consider, like maybe there's legal expenses and maybe there's vacancy and maybe, you know, the repairs and maintenance on your own personal residence, you might save up and and kind of spread that throughout, you know, three, five years. But on a rental property, if you are providing a place for families to live, that's not something that you can say, oh, that bathroom's not working. Just use the other one. Right. You know, you have to fix it. So there's got to be that, that cushion there. So in terms of evaluating properties, there's some rules of thumb that you can look at. Cause like you said, it was hard when you were looking to find something that positively cash flows. And sometimes I say, that's like going grocery shopping at Canadian Tire. <laughs> sometimes it's just not there. 
Sometimes the area you're looking at, there's just no cash flowing properties there. Unfortunately, it might be convenient for you if that were the case, but that's not what's going to happen. Like that, we're seeing that a lot now in like Vancouver, Toronto, like all the big city centers, it, because the value of the properties is so high mm-hmm. and the expenses are can be astronomical. Like even just the property taxes alone wipe out your cash flow. Right. So in those areas, it's like, like I said, going to Canadian Tire and expecting there to be apples there. That's not what you're going to find. Or you're going to have to get inventive and maybe buy a property and make it a student rental or um, just get inventive. Like there's a lot of other strategies that you can that you can use. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the rules of thumb that I say is there's a, a 1% rule. And that 1% rule is you take the... Uh, what you would buy the property for and what's 1% of that. So let's just use simple numbers and say you could buy this um, single family home for $100,000. You should expect to get $1,000 a month for that property for rent for it to positively cash flow. So that kind of when you're looking at an MLS listing or looking at, you know, um, just offers that you can see that kind of gives you the weeds you know you can weed stuff out if you can't get close to that one percent then you know it's not going to positively cash flow and like every rule of thumb every rule is made to be broken so there's exceptions to every rule Um, but that's one thing that I tell people when they're looking at investment properties just before you want to deep dive into the actual number crunching just give it that quick glance on the one percent and does it does it win Mm-hmm. That's a gr- that's a great tip, yeah. Because there's so many properties out there, it can be very overwhelming, and it's not practical and not a good use of your time to do the really thorough, in depth, quantitative analysis that is necessary before you purchase a property on every single property out there, right? So it's it's like you said, it's just to kind of do that initial filter so that you can ultimately have a short list, and then maybe on that short list, that's where yes. you really dive into the number. That's where you really dive into the weeds. Um, so no, I think that makes it a lot more, a lot less over uh, overwhelming for sure. Now, when it comes to getting a mortgage, so I know there's some, you know, if you go to a bank, let's say, uh, or, or a mortgage broker, I've definitely heard this many times from people, uh, you know, just when I talk to people who listen to the show that they go to get a house and they basically crunch in the, the you know, their mortgage specialist crunches in the numbers and gives them an amount that's much higher than what they were expecting in terms of how much house they can afford. And so there's that pressure of, okay, buy this more expensive house. But then you read all these personal finance blogs and books and all that, and you very, very quickly learn that you shouldn't actually just get the biggest mortgage you possibly are allowed to get. In terms of going to a mortgage specialist, getting the numbers, getting pre-approved, Like I said about the 80% behavior and 20% numbers, that applies there as well. So, for example, I am um, a family of six. And if my income is still the same, my income and my debt and my credit is relatively the same as um, maybe two people just starting out out of university, just getting married, buying their first home our pre-approval is going to be the same number. But I have four children to support. That isn't accounted for in that pre-approval number, but it's something that you as an adult need to judge in terms of your mortgage payment number. 
as well as you have to consider if you were to say, okay, we're, we're debating between these two properties. One is a starter home and it's, I'm going to use simple numbers again, $100,000. The other one is a little bit of an upgrade. We don't need to do any work to it. So there's that. Um, and it's a little bit more. The mortgage payment isn't that much more. Let's say like a few hundred dollars a month. But the property is now worth, let's say, two thirty. Normally. When a property is bigger and more expensive, it's also in a better area of town. So your utilities are going to be more. Your property taxes are going to be more. There's all of those other expenses to consider besides the mortgage. So I think that when you do get pre-approved for um, a mortgage and they give you your range or even your top limit, it's something that you need to be aware of. Obviously, when you're looking at houses, but you want to really focus on the mortgage payment amount, not the overall mortgage that you can hold. Because if your budget can't sustain, um, you know, that that bigger house that you want to look at, even though you're pre-approved for that amount, you don't want to be buy a house just to feel stressed about it. You want to buy a house to feel good and to, to feel secure and to not have to worry about a lot of money things you want to be excited about it and you're probably are going to be really excited about it until three months in when you get your first property tax bill. Right. And you think, Oh, how am I going to afford that? So I think that getting the pre-approval and knowing your top limit is, you know, important and a real estate agent probably won't work with you until you get that anyways. It's, but it's mostly to focus on that monthly payment amount. Because my family expenses are very different from, you know, a couple just starting out, even though our pre-approval amount might be exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a great point for sure. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's very easy, I think, to get too big of a house uh, because you get, you look at those payments, it seems okay on paper. But then, like you said, there's other things that are on top of that. And then before you know it, you're barely scraping by every month. You might be in a living paycheck to paycheck situation now because of all the cash flow that's coming out. Can't take vacations anymore because all that money has been spent on, you know, there was an increase in property taxes and then increase in utilities and other things. And you just maybe didn't factor that in. And now you're, you're kind of stressed and you can't really have the, you have the house you want, but you don't really have the lifestyle you want. Where And ideally yes. you want to have both, right? So I, I, I totally hear you. Now, speaking of that, what are some things that Canadians you find tend to forget when they do these calculations, whether at home is an investment property or the primary residence? Are there certain things that you think a lot of people maybe, just from your experience, maybe forget mm-hmm. to factor in that have a pretty material impact on their you know lifestyle and, and financial well-being? Yeah, I find the main expense that people forget to account for for the rental property part is vacancy. Mm, yeah. So um, they forget to account that the vacancy might be a planned vacancy. For example, when you have a turnover of clients, maybe you want to go in there and paint or go in there and do a little renovation or whatever, but it might be also an unplanned vacancy where um, your tenant moves out and you just can't find good tenants. And there's one thing about a rental property. It's just like running a business. You want to be picky. So the families living in your properties, you want to like them, you want them to like you, you want to have a, an, a relationship with them that's long term. 
Um, so you don't want to feel desperate, just like if you're running a business and you're hiring staff. So that's one thing that, and the vacancy can also be you have people in there, but they're not paying you. And that happens. So being able to account for that lack of rental check. And then for your principal residence, I feel like a lot of it sometimes if you're going from, you know, living with your parents where you don't have a rent payment or a a mortgage payment to living on your own, you're only accounting for the mortgage and the utilities and and the house's associated expenses. And you're forgetting about your fun, like you were saying, like your lifestyle, like planning for trips or um, maybe some toys, you know, like quads and boats and whatever. Like that's a big thing here where I am because I'm up north. But maybe there's other things that you would normally incorporate into your lifestyle that you kind of get excited about this house and you forget to put that into your budget. Mm-hmm. So I think um, what I like to tell people, whether they're buying a big purchase, like a a house, an investment or a car or something, is don't feel pressure to pull the trigger on that property or that purchase right now. Because when we feel stressed and pressured is when we make a lot of mistakes and we forget to consider all of our options. So if you have a property that you're looking at and you know what the mortgage amount is, why don't you try saving that amount for three months? So, or if you're buying a car and you know you're going to finance the car and the payment's $500 a month, save $500 a month for three months and see how it feels. And if it's totally doable, then you just have that three months extra for a down payment. But I find a lot of people feel like on number, on paper, that number they can afford it, but then in reality it's painful. Mm -hmm. So take your time, ask questions from other people who are 10 steps ahead of you and just make sure that you're considering all your options. And like I said, vacancy is a big one that people forget and lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So when you say, Oh, we can afford this house, but we just won't go on a trip for three years. I have I know that it sounds good in practice, but in reality, saying no to something that you're used to doing all the time is really difficult. Mm -hmm. Right. You might suck it up for for one year and it's fine. You know, we just bought the nice house, so we're not going Mm -hmm. on vacation this year. It's okay. You know, we're doing things around the house anyway, but then year two, year three comes around and all of a sudden it's like, hey, we haven't been on vacation for two or three years, you know, and all your friends and family are going on vacations. Maybe they want to you know, go to a resort with you or something, right? Like a family trip to something and you have to say no because we don't, have, well, you just you just say no and, and in reality it's because you don't have the cash yes. flow necessarily, right? And then you get it, then there's that chance you get into problems like, oh, maybe you, like, oh, well, I can take on some low interest debt to go on this vacation, right? And now you're, you know, now you're getting into the kind of that, that spiral, right? So, um, so right. Yeah, and I, like, yeah. I, I absolutely agree. And I if anybody who's listening to this has followed me on social media, I have experience in finance. This is what I do for a career. And I also struggle with that. So for example, excuse me, for example, I um, started my business to well, one year ago. I um, decide we decided, okay, so if we're going to start this business, we do go away for, on holidays as a family. And we said, 
that's something we're not going to do while I'm getting my business up and running. And with almost, I would say within nine months, what I did was I, I said, no, we're going to, we're going to still go away. We need the, the, the escape for our mental health and to spend time secluded as a family for our own well-being. So I used the money that we had saved to, to finish our basement. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it was just, it was something that we had said, okay, for the first couple of years, we're not going to go on a holiday. And in reality, like I said, 80% behavior, we couldn't do it. We needed to have that as part of our routine. So we had to sacrifice, you know, maybe a year of having our basement still not finished. And it's just, there's a lot of not just numbers that come into play when it comes to your personal finances. Mm-hmm. Like you said, there's kind of the theory, the forecast of how you think you will feel when you make the decision, but then in practice, mm-hmm. it, it could be a totally different thing. Yeah. Hey guys, just wanted to do a quick intermission to let you know about a new free guide that I created on the top personal finance and investing tools available to Canadians. Now, these are tools and sites that I've personally used to help us achieve financial dependence so that we could quit our jobs in our early 30s. And they're also the tools and resources that I use now to optimize and manage our finances and ensure that we're paying the lowest fees while getting solid returns on our investments. And really just to make sure that we don't have to go back and then get regular jobs anymore. So I'm giving this guide away for free to all Bullet Canada listeners. They've helped me out a lot. I think they're going to help you out a lot as well. So all you have to do is go to Build Wealth Canada. .ca and enter your email at the top of the page so that I know where to send it. And that's it. And this will also add you to the Build Wealth Canada newsletter where you'll be informed of new free guides as they get released, as well as any giveaways that I have on the show. So as you if you're a long-time listener, you know that oftentimes you know, we'll have authors on the show who have written books around investing, personal finance, and so oftentimes I do giveaways of those books. So this is just a way for you to be informed and win some free signed copies for free. And it's also the best way to ask questions that you want answered on future episodes of the show and suggest what future guides you'd like me to build for you and the community as well. So enjoy the guide. I'm here if you have any questions, and you can get all that by signing up for free over on the front page at Build wealthcanada.ca. All right. So enjoy. And now back to the show. Now, when saving for a down payment, whether it's for a rental property or whether it's for your own primary residence, where do you suggest Canadians keep that money as they're saving it? Would it be a high interest savings account, a GIC, an ETF? Uh, you know, What do you typically recommend to your clients? Yeah. So for this answer, I'm going to be annoying and I'm going to say it depends. <laughs> Um, but if I had to cast the net, what I would say is if you haven't maxed out your tax-free savings account, that's a great savings vehicle. Um, there's also some benefits of saving it within your RSP for your first time home. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the home buyer's plan you're referring to, right? The home buyer's plan. Yeah. yeah. But also these savings accounts, we can think about them like boxes. So they are, you can put anything, <clears throat> excuse me, in the box. So in an RSP, in a TFSA, in a savings account, you can put in cash, you can put ETFs, you can put GICs, you can put whatever you want within the box. So regardless of what box you're saving in, I say put the money as cash for that purchase because you don't want 
fluctuations in that money. If you have an opportunity that you want to take, but that money might be um, have gone down in the in the last few months, you don't want to. It takes the emotion out of it because you don't want this opportunity to be there. And you say, "Well, I want to jump on that opportunity, but my my money I have saved is down, so I don't really want to cash it out right now." That's not an equation that you even want to factor in. If there's something that you want to purchase, you have the money to buy it, go ahead and use that money. And it'll either be a little bit up, you know, within very small because the interest rates aren't great, but it'll be a little bit up or it'll be exactly what you've put into it. So in terms of what box you put it in, it'll you'll have to consult your banker, your financial planner, or maybe you feel comfortable making that call on your own. But within the box, I say cash. Mm-hmm. And cash that's actually earning some interest, I assume. Like, are you thinking something yeah, like, uh, like when absolutely. they have the TFSAs at the banks where you get like a really low interest rate, but it's just cash, it's still liquid. You're, you're thinking something yes. like that, perhaps? Yes. Gotcha. So, um, and same with mutual funds. There's high interest cash type mutual funds and ETFs. So, um, and where there's no penalty to cash it out right that's a very important point <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. because a lot of them do have fees for cash like at least with mutual funds right there's the deferred sales charges and you might say okay it was all safe and now it's i want to take it out and they say okay well that's going to be uh i mean it could be in the thousands i've, I've seen it many many times where i've talked to mm-hmm. people listeners of the show who basically want to switch to you know from they bought high cost mutual funds in the past not for a house but just in general for investing they want to switch to low cost ETFs. They've seen the research. They've, they've they know that's the you know that that's the better path for them. And then they want to get out. And now they have these massive fees to pay that, that are in the thousands. So um, so for sure, it's it's something definitely uh, definitely to be very very careful of for sure. Right. Yeah. And now you've actually uh, flipped the house before as well, which I thought was really mm-hmm. interesting, uh, which not everyone has done. And it's it's interesting, right? Because you see those shows on HGTV and then they make it look so easy and like it's done in an hour or a day or something, right? And <laughs> I don't know, being a former landlord and, you know, real estate investor, it's, I, I, I haven't, I've never done the flipping, you know, thing mm-hmm. ever, but uh, just by being a landlord, I find you do get a, you, you do get a taste of, you know, doing uh, renovations and things like that for, you know, for maximum ROI uh, on a property that you're not actually going to live in. So uh, it's it's a very, uh, it's interesting, I find what we see on TV versus the reality. Uh, can you tell us about your experience? What did you learn? And what would you say are the pros of cons of this approach? So, so flipping, um, you know, for making money, what, what, you know, like, so let's say con- contrasting the house flipping to owning a rental property versus let's say, you know, owning a passive, um, you know, ETF portfolio, for example. I feel like when you're flipping a property, so in my experience was we were, we had never, we actually did move into the property and worked on it as we lived in it. And there nice. were a couple of benefits for that. The first benefit was we had somewhere to live. The second benefit was capital gains. So when we sold the property, we lived in it. So we didn't have to pay property. We didn't have to pay any tax on the difference. Very smart. However, it's very uncomfortable to live in a property that you're renovating. So anyone that's done it knows that it's 
it can test your relationship. It can test your bank account. It can test your sanity. And there were more than a few times where we thought, is it worth it? Mm. So knowing that before you're getting into it, I think is really important. Um, And then the time of year that you're doing it, because, you know, like anything, it's more convenient to renovate a kitchen in the summer because you can barbecue and you can bring a bucket of dishwater on the deck and do the dishes outside. But when you are renovating in the winter, that adds another complexity to it. Um, so my situation was that we were living in it. So it did give us some benefits, but then there were also some, some drawbacks too. Mm-hmm. Um And then when you compare it to owning real estate for the income side of things is you are managing a business from afar when you're getting tenants in and collecting the rent checks and maintaining the repairs and maintenance. And then for something like a REIT, like an investment within one of those boxes, like your TFSA, your RSP, or your non-registered accounts, That is, there are no, um, you don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to worry about the bookkeeping. You don't have to worry about keeping receipts. You don't have to worry about living in a mess. You don't have to worry about tenants. Mm -hmm. That's a totally different animal altogether. So if you're interested in real estate, but don't want the headache, I shouldn't say headache, okay? Bad choice of words. (laughs) But if you don't want that responsibility, because it isn't always headaches, you also, there's headaches, but there's also great rewards sometimes. If you don't want that, then owning a REIT, like an investment that is real estate specific, might be a better choice for you. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely not a, a passive income, I find, just from my own experience. Um, it's oftentimes in some of people that sell you know, real estate courses and things like that, they make it sound like it's this magical passive thing where you just sit back and the checks come in every month and life mm-hmm. is perfect. And it's totally not that at all. <laughs> no. and, and I find uh, even... And then, those people that see some people that sell those courses will also say things like, Oh, well you're wrong because you just hire a property manager and you hire a contractor and they all do it for you. But then Mm -hmm. once again, the reality is, well, who's going to manage that property manager? Who's going to manage that contractor? Who's going to find that, you know, those people that they actually do a good enough job, right? Who's going to, who has to worry about the cash flow hit you're going to get by delegating all the work to people. And now is your property still profitable after hiring all those people, right? So it's, it's not as, um, you know, a rainbow, I don't know what the expression is, is it rainbows and butterflies <laughs> or whatever, right. as, uh, as, it, uh, as it may appear. Uh, and, and like you said, it can be very, uh, it can be very profitable. Like, and I know, you know, we've, we're very happy with the return we received on our rental when we did it. Um, but it, uh, so it, if you do it right, it can be very lucrative, mm-hmm. but it's definitely not in e- but if you think it's going to be lucrative and easy and passive, and not ever stressful, then then that's that's just not true. That's just I think you have well, to check your and that's just it. And in terms of passive, passive for who? So, for example, <laughs> the tenants, I guess, because <laughs> they call the landlord when something breaks. <laughs> right. Even if you have a property manager and um, you know an accountant and whoever else on your team taking care of all that mundane things, so that it seems passive. Um. You had to find those people. 
Plus, you also have to maintain a relationship with those people. And it's you, you had to save for the down payment and although and find the property that wasn't passive. And I can almost guarantee that your accountant and your property manager do not lose sleep over whether your property is cash flowing or whether your um, investments are going to get you to your goal at retirement. They are not losing sleep over that. And there is not enough weight put on the emotional side of your investments from these people who are selling that passive income mentality, Mm -hmm. because when you're under stress, there's, there's no monetary value. Like you would say, I would pay a million dollars right now, not to feel this weight on my shoulders, or I would pay a hundred thousand dollars right now just to feel confident that I've made the right choice. Like someone give me the crystal ball. Mm -hmm. Do you think that property manager thinks that? Mm -mm, No. They're they're just doing their job, and as they're long just as they doing do a good job. job, you will and charge you a reasonable fee. You're probably going to keep them as you know as a contractor, and mm-hmm. that's that's what they, they just have to worry about is doing doing their job. Like you said, they don't they don't need to worry whether it's cash flowing positive or not. I, I hear you, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, the example I like to use is I know when when we had the property, one of the winters we had the furnace breakdown, and so mm-hmm. this is a you know a family at the time it was a family of four. And the furnace breaks down. So I'm taking basically a vacation day to go down there immediately, uh, you know, like quote unquote vacation day <laughs> to go down, <laughs> you know, from work right at the time, uh, getting, bringing every heater I can, portable heater I can muster. <laughs> so, you know, asking my parents if I can borrow one, bringing any that we have, you know, just, just cashing in all my goodwill chips, just, you know, asking people for that. Uh, just because this family's there, they need heat, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, I hired a contractor to, professional you know furnace company to go in there and fix it i'm not a, i'm not a furnace guy so it's like interesting so i hired someone and yet i still had to you know basically take a vacation day and work that day to make sure the family was okay and, and then you know pay a big bill at the end of the all once all was said and done once the furnace was fixed right so you know to anyone that says oh it's easy you just hire people to do it for you it's not it's not quite that simple right that heating company isn't going to be bringing in heaters for you and and deal talking with your tenants and managing that relationship and making sure they're happy and that their kids aren't freezing and get don't get sick you know what i mean i mean that's your mm-hmm. just even as a human being that's your obligation to you know to help that family right so um so definitely not passive right um and and like i said well and you have to imagine too like i'm sure that day where that happened you weren't just casually walking around collecting (laughs) heaters (laughs) you were in a mad panic you thought oh my goodness i feel terrible i want to help these people they're cold Plus, my property is now at risk because there's no heat in it. That's right. Uh, pipes could burst. There's. I didn't even think of the pipe thing, but 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 you're you're right. That, that is a that's for sure is a risk, right? Uh, pipe burst, mm-hmm. pipes bursting if the house gets too cold as well, for sure. So, I mean, we had yeah. the heaters, right? So that kind of took care of that. But um, but yo, you're you're totally right. There's also the the that other component for sure. Yeah, I have a similar story where we have one rental unit that's a duplex, but the heat gauge is in one unit so one unit regulates the heat for the whole house Mm. and it was christmas and the tenants with the heat regulator were gone they were celebrating christmas somewhere and the upstairs tenants called me and said we're cold can you turn up the heat and i thought it's christmas 
I have so many running around things to do. I don't have time to just pop into the rental and turn up the heat, but that's what I had to do. Yeah. And so it's moments like that where it's like, oh, is it worth it? Yes. <laughs> you know, like. And how far just, away were you from your property? How much of a drive was it? So we we were probably 35 minutes. Not, okay. It's not bad but it's 35 minutes either way mm-hmm. plus it was a it's the busiest season of the year where it's like you're already stretched for time and you're right. already feeling like overwhelmed by all your obligations and responsibilities plus it's the road conditions are bad and it's busy out on the roads because everybody's busy so it was just like one of those things where it's like you have a lot of things on your to-do list already and they just threw another one that felt Mm -hmm. like oh if you just had a key to that unit you could go and do it yourself or if I had just invested in the nest you know like I could do it from my phone but and And, and the reality is no one has so much foresight that they can predict any situation like that that comes I mean you might be able to you know, read some best practices and, and have some of those things covered. But I find there's only so much you can, well, I, I mean, once you're like a seasoned landlord and you've been doing this forever, right? You've probably encountered all those problems. And so you've hopefully found ways to right. prevent them. But but no matter how many books you read, there's always going to be something where you're like, oh, if only I did this, it would have fixed this problem. Or if only I did that. But then maybe now your other tenants are worried like, hey, other people have access to our property. Your the other <laughs> tenants have access to our property. I don't want them in our house. What if that tenant breaks something or steals something or, or what? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So th- there is also that whole thing. And, and I asked about the yeah. distance to the property, right? Because we, we talked briefly earlier about the distance to, about how, you know, you mentioned like the candy shopping you know, groceries at Canadian Tire, right? How maybe the city you're in, there it's it's impossible possible to get the property to cash flow right just because of the the economics of that particular area and that's something totally beyond your control so then the uh, solution might be oh well hey well let's just go buy a property in a different city right but then you want but then there's also so yeah maybe you got it to cash flow but then you run into your situation where it's christmas what if your property was three hours away and there's a snowstorm right what if uh you know what i mean or what if it was in another country because oh there's cash flow properties in the u.s that uh you know that cash flow better in certain areas so let's buy a property in the u.s instead well you, like it's christmas what are you gonna do right uh the property managing company i'm sure isn't just eagerly waiting by the phone for your phone call and ready to drop all their Christmas plans to help you, right? And I mean, and if they are, good for them, but I'm pretty sure that's not going to be a cheap fix either, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so anyways, <laughs> now, now you got me, now you got me all round up. <laughs> well, and that's just it. And if you're bootstrapping it, like if it's your first rental property, maybe you thought of that. Maybe you thought I should get the nest for this unit because of the dual apartment situation that this thermostat is monitoring but that's an extra Mm $350 I'm not going to do that right now right then this situation comes up and you think hindsight's 2020 should have bought the nest Mm -hmm. and then you buy it and it never happens again that's right (laughs) That's right, or now it or now it breaks or something, right? Or or who knows? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that that's true. And I want to go back really briefly to the the house flipping piece that you mentioned mm-hmm. because I 
it's 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 clever what you did. I thought how you you lived there, and you were able to do those renovations yourself. So it's not like you're paying a mortgage for your primary residence, and mm-hmm. now you're flipping a house that's another house. So you're paying another mortgage payment, another load of property taxes and utilities. I mean, I can see that being very uh, economical. And then you mentioned the capital gains piece too. How because mm-hmm. it's your primary residence, you don't get dinged on that. Um, I did. I I remember um, the first real estate agent we've ever worked with many many years ago. That's actually exactly what her and her husband did. It was a really in, interesting business model, I, I thought, because they, you know, she was a real estate agent, right? So she could get, she would actually get a piece of the commissions, right, on the buying and selling of the flipped property. He was a contractor, so they could, you know, it was really his labor that they were using mm-hmm. to do the renovation instead of paying market prices for a contractor to do the kitchen. And I mean, and it worked out really, really well for them financially. But like you said, that there's the financial side, but there's all, if you do it right, of course, but there's also the, the stress side, right? Like you're constantly living in a temporary house mm-hmm. and you're always in renovating and it's mm-hmm. it's exhausting i mean people get exhausted when they have a contractor in for a week to do something on their house right it's it's mm-hmm. stressful still right it's inconvenient imagine uh, doing that for like what six months <laughs> right or, or, or whatever longer. or longer <laughs> whatever the case may mm-hmm. be because yeah. you're tr- you're in our case and probably most cases you're also working yes so you're working let's say eight to four or nine to five and then you're doing the renovations after work or on the weekend that's right you see so your weekends you're, are gone realistically if you do that yeah you're yeah. Con- you're constantly on you're never taking downtime mm-hmm. um the other thing that i found one of the things in hindsight, obviously hindsight's 2020. So if we were to have done it again, I think one of the things we would have done differently is to try to take our own taste out of it and to not complicate it. So while we were renovating the property, we maybe customized it a little too much to what we liked, where we could have got it done a little bit more affordably and quicker if we would have just done more not basic but more general kind of improvements Mm -hmm. so I but I think it's hard when you are living in it it's hard to take out that well I would like this kind of stove or I would like the an island or I would like the cabinets to be like this instead of thinking let's just get it looking nice and attractive to the masses instead of attractive to what we like. Mm-hmm. For sure. And you're, you're yeah. always feeling that pressure, right? Because you live there, you actually do want it to look yeah. okay. But instead, every single... Yeah, I find it so much different when it's your own home versus mm-hmm. one that you're using for business purposes, right? Because when it's business, it's very easy to turn that switch and think everything in terms of return on investment, right? So just, okay, what is my ROI on this? Does this have the broad appeal? Yes. Is it economical? What's the most economical way to get this thing that everyone wants? You know, that kind of a thing, right? It becomes that sort of... Uh, framing right but if you live there it's 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 tough right it's not it's it's like it's your house but it's not really it feels like I assume yeah well and when you're living there you can constantly play around with your timeline so you can say okay we're going to you know your car broke down okay no problem let's just get a new car because then we don't have to deal with this again and we'll just live in this house six months longer right right so you can constantly play around with the plan because it's comfortable now. Yeah. Whereas when, if you're, you bought the property just to flip it and you don't live there, you want to get it done quick 
because you have all these expenses and you want to turn the profit. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, and like when you said earlier, when I said, oh, like six months, and you said, well, or even a year, and I could see how, now that you said that, I can see how we can get to one year or more very easily, right? Because life comes up, and now it's, okay, well, let's just delay this renovation a little bit because we need a new car or maybe we want to go on that vacation and we just, we need a break because we've been working on the property every weekend for the past six months and we're going to go crazy. So, right? Like there's those, there's those pressures, right? For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned with the house flipping thing in terms of living there and then not having to pay the capital gains when you sell it. I mean, I'm not a tax accountant or anything like that, but I'm pretty sure there's some, if I remember correctly, there is some rule against that where you have to be living in that house for a certain period of time, right? Yeah, that is right to a point. So there, you you can't continuously go and move into a property, live in it, and but you're flipping it for a business. So there's no actual time frame on the living in the property. But if you were to continuously move and continuously do this, CRA will catch on. I gotcha. So they have the tools and the analysis to be able to find you. (laughs) So if you are doing it for business purposes, like you're thinking, I'm going to do it now, I'm going to do it again, and then I'm going to do it again, then just claim it. Right. Yeah. And then then now you're treating it as a business and as a like profit essentially, right? So now you yeah. are getting taxed on all that. You're no longer tax exempt. And yeah, and they could so easily figure that out too, right? It's because yeah. now you have to report, especially now, right? When you buy and sell a house and then they could totally see by the uh, appraised value too, right? Oh, so you, the last, you, you know, you, you've, you, it seems to like you're moving every year and it looks like there's a pattern where you move into a house, it's got this, you know, uh, you're buying it at this price and then there's this massive forced appreciation that happens within the course of a year and then you sell it. I mean, that's so easy to flag in the system, right? Just mathematically through an algorithm. So I I totally, uh, it's, yeah. And they they can see everything in terms of your TFSA deposits, your RSP deposits, Mm -hmm. um, your interest on your non-registered accounts. So it, doesn't take a lot for them to figure out you're making huge capital gains on this property, depositing it in one of those three types of accounts. And then I see an address change and then I see it happen again. So if you are doing it for the business purposes, it, in terms of capital gains, if you're making a profit, just pay the gains. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. It's not worth the the. It's not the, worth the it really severe punishment you're going to get once they find out, which and they would totally will find out. And they might not find out right away, but they, but will, they will go back and they will say, let's say in five years they go back and they say, what happened here? Mm-hmm. I see three properties where you moved and whatever. This proved to me that this wasn't planned and this wasn't business income. Mm-hmm. And you won't be able to, because if that was your intention, then that was your intention. Right. And they'll say, okay, so now you owe me the tax for that. And you've probably already spent the tax on that because it was five years ago. You probably used it to buy your big house that you're living in now or the car that you're driving now or whatever. So just always be honest. And if that was your intention from the beginning, just Treat it like that. Mm-hmm. that. That sounds good. So uh, to uh, next question, I mean, to help reduce the chances of sort of unexpected surprises when purchasing a home or investment property, you know, I'm thinking like property inspection, you know, things of that nature, you know, what type of due diligence do you recommend Canadians do, whether it's, you know, primary residence or rental property? 
One of the things that I think really benefited me when I got started in terms of buying my own house and buying my first investment property was having somebody to talk to. So whether it's your parents or your neighbor or your brother, sister, just somebody who is 10 steps ahead of you. So that like one of the analogies I like to use is when you have a child who will not sleep through the night and you just want them to sleep through the night and you want a strategy that is going to work, you don't go and ask your friend that has dogs. You go and ask your friend who has children a little bit older than your children. So same thing goes when you're buying a property. Talk to somebody who's, who owns a house and ask them, say, I'm, I'm thinking about buying this house. Tell me the pros. Tell me the cons. What should I ask the real estate agent? What should I ask my whoever you need to ask questions to, the seller, whoever? So having that almost like mentor role and maybe have a few in your back pocket. So I have mentors who are friends, who are parents, who are uh, relatives. And then I have mentors who I've never met. So people like um, like podcasters who, who teach things or um, self-improvement gurus like Tony Robbins, like I, there are mentors who are, I think, are my mentors who don't even know I exist. So just have somebody who you can ask questions to or that somebody who can give you some knowledge that you would have otherwise not known about. Mm-hmm. I think that's such good advice. And, and not even just for home buying, but just in general, whether it's investing or, or any part in life is fine. If you're trying to figure something new out, go seek out the people that have already done it and have done it successfully and that aren't trying to sell you something in the, as well. I think that's an important one because there's so much conflict of interest in the industry, right? So it just in, in, in general, both in real estate, I find investing and just, I guess in life too, right? There's there's a lot of that. So uh, finding someone that has done it before, has done it successfully, they're reputable so you know they've actually done it mm-hmm. and they're not trying, and, not, and that they're not going to tell you advice mm-hmm. that they're only really telling you because they make some sort of you know commission or something on the back end because of it. And if you're making these decisions as a partnership, like with your spouse, I think it's important that you both like and trust the person giving them the advice. Because if I have somebody who I like and trust, but my husband does not, then that's going to factor into his decision. Just because they said that, it's almost like he's going to question it or he's going to you know, give me a hard time. So it's like, just if I, if there is somebody that I like and trust in terms of a mentor, but he doesn't, don't even, don't even worry about that person. Mm -hmm. It just totally creates unnecessary conflict too, right? You got it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, no, that's great. And then, I mean, many Canadians too, they, uh, they view their homes that they live in as an investment. Do you think this is a right way to think of your primary residence as an investment? What do you think? I think it depends on the person. So in terms of that question, if you experienced a hardship and you would sell your house, then it's an investment. If you experienced uh, some sort of change in your situation where you needed uh, to, to sell the property and you chose not to, 
then it isn't an investment. It is an expensive memento and an expensive place to live, which is absolutely normal. But you need to know what kind of person you are. So if for if you had a maybe a job opportunity and you couldn't afford to keep your house, but it was temporary, so you had to move, would you sell your house? Most people would say no because it, there's something special about your home and it's secure and whatever else. So I think if you're willing to just like cashing out your RSPs or cashing out your TFSA, if you're willing to sell that property to, based on changes in your life, then absolutely it's an investment. Mm-hmm. But, and it that gets harder as I find people get older. So people say, well, when I get old enough, I won't live here. Yeah, right. We're seeing now people are saying, you're going to carry me out of this house. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to that nursing home or that whatever. You're not moving me to a condo. I'm living here. This is where I know. This is where I'm comfortable. Then that is not an investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great, uh, that's a great answer. Yeah, and, and I see that so much now with, uh, with uh, you know people getting uh, like my parents' age, right, getting close to retirement, right, and and or, or even in retirement, uh, and yeah, I mean they have their house and it's it's gone up quite a bit. They don't need to be living in that house anymore because they no longer work, for example, or they can just work remotely, that kind of a thing, and so they could totally cash it in and get those capital gains tax free. You know, reinvest it, use a part of it. It could totally be treated as an investment at that point. But a lot of people decide not to do that, like you said, because there's sentimental value. My kids grew up here, or my grandkids, or whatever the the you know it, it may be. It's we've been we've been uh, let's say you've been renovating for the past however mm-hmm. how many years to make it perfectly just the way you like it, right? And if you've been living in a house long enough, you probably have been doing that, right? And then now to all of a sudden say forget that, let's just sell it and move into a smaller condo i mean that's a tough pill to swallow right when you're when you're used to things a certain way you're used to several thousand square feet and all of a sudden you're moving into uh like a bachelor or something right or like a one bedroom that that's going to be pretty tough yeah yeah and it all depends on the person so some people like in every house i've lived in besides this point i had no problem moving So like sometimes you think like, oh, I brought my baby home in this house or I remember the first steps there. or Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, so-and-so building us that deck. And it's like I never had that attachment to those houses because I knew they were investments to get me to where I am now. And now I feel that way about the house I'm in, whereas this is not an investment. This is where I am forever, forever. And even when I'm no longer here living on this property, I want my kids to have the option of they can keep it or sell it. I'm going to, this is an investment for them now. It's not, it has nothing to do with me and my investment strategy. This is where I'm living forever. So if I lose my marbles and they have to sell it out on me, then they can do that. They can make that choice. But in terms of, me, my attitude is my house I'm living in now is not in spot. And that's that's so much such a different calculation, right? When you're when you're older and you're modeling all this out and you're trying to prepare for a retirement or an early retirement and I mean that house piece is so significant, right? Are we gonna be able to actually cash in on that or are we not? Because if you're not 
then you have to make up for that money somehow, right? Most likely, right? Uh, or you have, you have to at least factor that in. So no, that's a very, um, it's important, I think, to make that distinction and then pl- have a financial planner like yourself, for example, and and factor that in into the plans so that you can, you don't get into these sort of nasty surprises where you do want to retire and it turns out you can't unless you sell your home and move somewhere cheaper because you haven't planned for it, right? I mean, that would be a really sad, uh, sad situation to be in for sure. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts between going with a fixed versus variable mortgage? And, and what kind of analysis do you do to determine the right one? <laughs> For that question, I feel like hindsight's twenty twenty. So <laughs> Yeah. Assuming uh, we have no hindsight. <laughs> or yeah, just no or just kidding. we have historical numbers, but even that's not reliable because you don't really know what's gonna happen in the future, right? Uh, if you if you yeah. can't predict interest rates, you're you should be working on Wall Street and you'd probably be a billionaire right now. So <laughs> so assuming <laughs> yeah. we do not have a magic ball. <laughs> yeah. Assuming there's no magic ball, I think that's a great question to ask your mortgage specialist because they will give you the ins and outs of both options. So there's rules associated with having fixed. Then there's also rules associated with having variable. So variable typically gives you more flexibility in terms of reducing your debt. So if that's a priority for you, then variable might be, even though the rate might be higher, it might be the solution for you. And over the long term, you might end up paying less interest. If debt reduction is a priority and you're willing to make that investment into your your mortgage. Um, If you feel more comfortable knowing the exact um, interest rates you're going to be charged over the span of your term and aren't you know you can't afford to double up your payments, you know you can't afford to do more than 10% down, I mean, I'm giving these general rules, but every provider is going to have their own kind of benchmarks. Then a fixed rate is better for you because it's predictable. And you know that you aren't going to be making those extra payments on your debt to reduce it. So over the long term, you'll pay less. So it kind of depends on your attitude towards that mortgage and that debt. Do you want to, are you going to be throwing money at it? If so, go variable and just get it done. But if you, you're in a stage of life where you just don't have that extra cash flow to be able to apply to that debt, or if you don't care, if you don't care about debt and you don't care, it doesn't stress you out at all, then stick with the predictable route with, with uh, the fixed rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just be aware that at the end of your term, just like we saw, was it this month, last month, the Bank of Canada raised rates. So when you go to renew, you might be taking a dramatic jump, whereas when you were, if you had chosen variable, you would have kind of got used to it mm-hmm. slowly. That That's a good point, right? People that, you know, had their mortgage almost five years ago and now are renewing. I mean, it's it's going to be it's going to be pretty. I mean, I, hopefully they factor that in, in in their you know budgets and, and all of that, right? Because it's going to be a pretty significant uh, significant for sure. Yeah, we always did variable ourselves back when we back when we had a mortgage and just we I made sure we got a mortgage with really good uh, prepayment privileges and mm-hmm. then we just yeah we just threw a lot of money at it and and you know just to kind of get rid of it and it worked out well for us and I mean the way that I kind of view it, it with when it comes to the variable versus fixed debate is with fixed as well. Oh, just just in general in the kind of investment industry, when you are when you want something that's guaranteed and or and or predictable, 
you're going to be paying a premium for that, right? That's just mm-hmm. the reality of the industry. And so if, if at least from my experience, anytime I, I mean, it's been a while since we had one, but I remember when looking at it, you know, way back when it was, okay, if you want that extra security of those predictable monthly payments, then that that's a risk now that the bank is taking, right? Um, mm-hmm. That they're going to guarantee this rate for you for the next five years. And so they're smart. They have really smart statisticians and, you know, that, that calculate all of these numbers and they know, okay, we think the interest rates are going to behave this way. And so we're going to adjust the rate by X amount to factor in the risk that we're taking on behalf of our client, right? And so the way I always, I don't know, so that's just kind of one, the way I've always looked at it is mm-hmm. just like an in insurance, just like in, in just in any sort of investments or debt scenario, the more, you know, kind of, anytime you want to guarantee, that's very valuable to people and people are willing to pay more for that and the companies know that and so they're going to charge you more for that, right? Especially because yeah. they're, they're now taking on the risk. So I don't know, that's just, that just kind of my my two cents uh, about it. I think it's it, it's really worth mentioning both, uh, worth evaluating both angles yeah. and just knowing what you're getting into instead mm-hmm. of um, just being like, oh, variable is always best in any situation or fixed is always best in any situation. It really depends, like you said, right? Yeah, and I... The provider that we have for our mortgage, we have a hybrid. So we have a portion of our mortgage that is variable and then a portion of our mortgage that is fixed. And I love the fixed portion in that the number, the the interest number is so low. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I love pulling out my statement and seeing that. But I also notice that uh, the debt does it just reduces by such a fraction of a of an amount even though your payment is large mm-hmm. so it's one of those things where you gotta whatever you're comfortable with and if a hybrid solution makes you feel comfortable you can always change your mind at the end of your term right yeah yeah I and mean, I mean it's, it's something you don't want to lose sleep over where you went with variable because you read somewhere that oh that can be cheaper. But then you're stressed every night thinking about because and it's it's hard not to it's it's hard to not hear about interest rates right I mean that's one of the I mean I heard a joke somewhere how Canadians just love talking about the Leafs and uh, the interest rates right <laughs> how that's kind of always top of conversations I don't, you know and I thought I was kind of funny but but I I I definitely see that with interest rates right I mean you always see it in the headlines it's always very top of mind and so if you're constantly hearing about people saying oh, interest rates are going up, interest rates going up, and you have a variable, and yet stress that's going to stress you out every single time. And you haven't fact, and especially if you haven't factored in that there could be an increase and that makes sure that you're okay if there is an increase cash flow wise. I mean, you could be really, really stressed, right? So it's a very, uh, it really depends, I think, is the conclusion on that one. It depends. And I remember in about 2010, 2011, um, when I was in the investment space, so I worked for a, a broker dealer and when we would have mutual funds reps come and talk to us, their favorite saying was always interest rates have nowhere to go, but up. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, a lot of advice was based on, well, interest rates have nowhere to go, but up. And then they would go down again. <laughs> and it was yeah. just like, that is, you can't just cast the net and say something that you think is fact when 
it isn't fact. That's right. That's right. I remember that. I, I remember uh, when that happened. It was so funny because you just hear it in the news all the time. And then all of a sudden, oh, Bank of Canada has decreased the interest rate. <laughs> and I was just laughing to myself. This is so, it's just, um, yeah. It, Nobody it's knows. Nobody yeah. knows. Nobody like, knows. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the thing too is like, and then there's that also that whole thing about, uh, you know, you'll be right eventually, right? So that the interest rates <laughs> went up, right? So there was, I remember people saying that and they've been saying it for, there was a time, I mean, now we've actually had increases, right? But there was a very, like years and years where there wasn't a single increase, right? And people are saying, they're going to go up, they're going to go up in a minute, they're going to go up in a minute, and then they haven't. And then a year goes by and another year goes by and another, right? And it's like, oh, well, when it, they'll be right eventually. It just may not be for, you know, <laughs> for many, many years. So it's funny how that works. Megan, tell us a bit about uh, more about your practice and, and how anybody interested can get in touch with you. So I, um, I'm a certified financial planner and I run a practice helping families who just happen to have rental properties as part of their portfolios, just manage not only the organization component. So just, you know, some tips and tricks on how to keep all those receipts in one place and to make sure you're getting all the tax deductions that you're entitled to but also the savings and the debt repayment piece. So laying everything out on the table, what I normally say is it's like doing a puzzle where you know you can do this puzzle, but you don't have the picture on the box. So I kind of come in and I show you the picture on the box and just help guide in terms of achieving your goals and making sure that you don't feel like you're living paycheck to paycheck or you don't feel like you aren't confident that you made the right um, investment choices, or you aren't sure if your property is a smart investment. You you aren't because maybe on your tax return you kind of aim for a loss. But let's get real and see: is it losing money? Is it profitable? Does it make sense? So that's where I I help families in terms of of my practice. That's wonderful. Well, for sure, I'll, I'll link um, I'll link to your site uh, in the show notes. And uh, and yeah, th- thanks for thanks for coming on. It was great to to pick your brain and talk about this. It's always fun uh, just to talk real estate and, and kind of you know learn some learn some best practices along the way. So uh, thanks so much for being on the show. Absolutely, Cornell. It was my pleasure. All right, thanks, Megan. Bye. All right, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to get your free guide on the top ETFs in Canada where I go into detail on what I invest in and why. And to get that, just sign up for a free savings account with the bank that I use, which is EQ Bank, where they have one of the highest interest rates that I've been able to find in Canada, sometimes even more than double what other banks are offering. Plus, you get the free unlimited Interact e-transfers, which is super convenient for sending money and unlimited transactions with no fees. So to get the guide, just sign up for EQ Savings Plus account using the link buildwealthcanada.ca slash EQ. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash the letter E and the letter Q. Then send me any confirmation email that you get from them to bonus at buildwealthcanada.ca and I'll email you the full guide for free. All right, so thanks again for supporting the show in that way. Don't forget to sign up at buildwealthcan.ca to get the guide on the top tools that I personally use uh, and that we have used to get into financial independence early on. Also, don't forget to ask Sean your mortgage questions by going to buildwealthcanada.ca 
Ca slash Sean. He'll be able to answer them for you for free. And if you're looking for a mortgage or will need to renew your mortgage in the future, definitely go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash Sean as well to get his research on the best mortgages that he's been able to find across Canada. And also so you can learn what to look for before deciding on a mortgage. It doesn't cost you anything. And at the very least, you'll have someone that can help answer your mortgage questions. And you'll also get the mortgage checklist guide for free so you can learn more about what to look for when deciding on a mortgage. All right, so to get all that, just go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash Sean, that's S-E-A-N, enter your email. And yeah, he'll be in touch with you and I'll send you the guide as well for uh, for doing that, all right? So hope you enjoy that. He's the show's you know, mortgage expert now. He's the one that you know monitors mortgage rates, monitors mortgage rules, stays on top of all of that. So you know I go to him whenever we, there's any sort of questions around there. So definitely this is a good way where you can go in there and get your questions answered from him, from someone that actually monitors this and studies this for a living, all right? So enjoy and I hope you found all the information useful. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca.